Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing? Doing good? I almost, I'm, I'm like two seconds late. I almost forgot my water. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So here we are, Sunday morning. How many of you guys enjoying the weather outside? All right. All right. I'm not. All right, just so you know, I love the summer. I love warm, cuddly weather. Uh, for some odd reason, I don't know what happened last night. There was like a shift. There was a change. It just it went from like, you know, nice and warm to like brisk cold this morning. I walked out and I was like, yo, God, what are you doing, man? I need a jacket now. All right. Well, big ups to everybody. Thank you for being here this Sunday morning. Big ups to everybody who's watching through the live stream right now. And uh, on top of that, really quick, uh, I just want to just say right now, What a great way to kick off the start of our week, right? I mean, we just had worship. We're in the community of believers in fellowship right now. I know Monday's tomorrow. I know in order to get to next Sunday, it's a long week. But what a great way to kick it off. Am I right? Amen. I don't know about you, but I look forward to Sundays a lot. I feel like it's a recharging of my tank before the week kicks off, right? Well, for those of you who know, we are currently in the New Testament part of our year-long series, And not too long ago, actually, not too long ago, we wrapped up the Old Testament part of our series. Right after the Old Testament part of our series, we jumped right into what is known as the New Testament. And from there, we started off with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That was an amazing time we spent together. Right after the Gospels, we hopped into a book called the Book of Acts, which was the time period of the disciples right after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. And then from there... We're actually in a section of the Bible right now that is commonly referred to as the epistles. Now, don't get confused with that word epistles. That word just means letter. It was a handwritten letter to the churches. And the main person who was a catalyst for for a majority of these letters is a man who goes by the name of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, for me, honestly, you know, Jesus is way up here, obviously, above everybody else. Paul is right there beneath him in terms of how cool I think Paul is. Um, He was an awesome man of God. Now, as Pastor Carlos pointed out last week, these epistles, these letters that were handwritten, they were for the church. They were for the church. They were for the people of God's church. They were for the people of God, meaning they were for every single person here, including myself. They're for the people of God. Now, just to give you a quick example of what I meant by of what I mean by that, last week, last week, Pastor Carlos spoke to us from the epistles, from the letters of First and Second Corinthians, and we learned about God's selfless. We learned about God's ultimate. We learned about God's unconditional agape love. Did I say it right? No, I didn't say it right. I'm sorry. We learned about His unconditional love. Agape. We learned about his unconditional agape love, which in essence is the highest expression of love that can possibly be imagined. And we learned what it looks like, obviously by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, and that we too are called to express this same type of love. 
not just to anybody, not just to the people that we like, but to everybody. So this morning, as we continue moving forward in Paul's letters, we come to the letter, to the epistle that he wrote to the church in Galatia. Now, there are a lot of things happening in the church of Galatia at this time. Now, the interesting thing about what was happening there, the things that they were dealing with, is that the problems and circumstances that they were dealing with 2,000 years ago, for some odd reason, some of those circumstances and problems and issues we're still dealing with now. It's a crazy thought to think that over 2,000 years ago, they had problems. 2,000 years ago, we kind of have the same problems. And this tells us something very important about God's word, something that I love very much about God's word. It shows us, it tells us that when God chose his people and filled them with the Holy Spirit and asked them to write the books of the Bible, when he filled them with the Holy Spirit and asked them to write the epistles, the letters, the stories that God would want them to say for each and every single one of us, God had in mind the past, God had in mind the present, God had in mind the future of every single circumstance, problem, situation that we could possibly be dealing with. And then he did something amazing. He addressed it. He addressed it. I want you guys to think about that. God is not bounded by time. He created it. He knows the past, the present, and future of every single one of our lives. He knows the past and present and future of every single church. He knows the past and present and future of every problem and circumstance and situation that we could possibly deal with. And 2,000 years ago, when he inspired Paul to write his letter to the church in Galatia, not only was he looking at the problems that they were dealing with then, God was saying, you know what? I know that 2,000 years later, my church will deal with this problem again. So let me address it. Let me address it. God's word transcends time. It's not bounded by generation or decade or a particular time period or moment in history. It's not. Pick any moment in history, yours, historical. Pick it. I guarantee you that God's word would apply. I guarantee you that God's word would still be relevant. His message, his principle, his loving, passionate heart would still apply. Why? Because God's word is always relevant. And it's the same with Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. It's still relevant. It still applies to us now. And as we are getting into it, as we are getting into it, I have something really cool for you guys. Something really cool for you guys. By a show of hands, how many of you guys like movies? Anybody like movies? All right, all right. About, about 80% of you guys like movies. A little bit about myself. I'm a huge movie buff. I love movies. I just love them with the passion. I love the cinematography. I love the scenes. I love the speeches. I love going to the movie theaters. When COVID hit, it hurt because I was getting my kids and my family starting to go there. But now that COVID's over, we're starting to go back. We just saw the Paw Patrol movie. It's pretty awesome for those of you who have kids, right? But I love movies. And because I love movies, I decided to hit you guys with a little bit of movie trivia. We're going to play a game right now. Now, the object of the game is this, all right? I don't want you guys to be intimidated. It's not a very difficult game. The object of the, movie, uh, of the game is this. I took a screenshot of a movie, a screenshot, one still frame of a shot of a movie. Your job is to try and guess what movie it is. Now, you can call it out the moment you know it, all right? It's not difficult. I started you guys off with something very easy, okay? So, you guys ready to play? You guys ready to play? All right, let's see how well you do. This is the first image. Let's see if you guys can tell me what movie this is from. Let's see if it pops out. Can you guys see it? 
Ooh, Aladdin. Yes, Aladdin. This is the desert scene in Aladdin. Aladdin is by far my favorite Disney animated movie of all time. Notice how I said animated movie. I don't like the remake. Sorry, Robin Williams is the genie. I don't hate Will Smith. It's just that you're not it, bro. Sorry, it's not you. It's not it, right? I mean, look at the second picture right here. Look, look at that. Oh, look how amazing. I just, oh, just, there's a special place in my heart for this movie. You don't understand. I grew up with this movie. All right, now, you guys ready for the second one? All right, this is the second one. See if you guys can guess the movie from this one. Braveheart. This is my boy P.H. just came back from Scotland not too long ago. I told him I was going to hit him with some Braveheart today. Thoroughly, my bad. I was going to hit him with some Braveheart today. Freedom! Listen, Braveheart, this is my top two movie of all time. This movie is so amazing. And in this next picture, if you guys can remember it, this next picture, this is right when he's giving that famous speech to all the people who don't want to go and fight in the battle, right? And he comes out and he says this. He says this to them, run, 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 and you'll live at least a little while. And while dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day for that one, for just one chance, one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. It's a famous line. It's a famous speech. Gets my, butt, gets my blood moving right now as I'm thinking about it. All right, so I have one more, just one more, one more for you guys. You guys are very impressive right now. You guys are, you guys are killing the game. I appreciate it. All right, this is the next picture. See if you guys can guess what movie this is from. Ooh. Anybody? Star Trek? Star? Who said Star Wars? Raise your hand if you said Star Wars. My man. This is from the movie Star... Which one, though? No. First one, no. Revenge of the Sith. Yo, somebody... Revenge of the Sith. This right here. Let's just show the next picture right here. Let's show the next picture. I didn't want to put Revenge of the Sith because, you know, revenge is... The next picture. This right here is is called the opera scene the opera scene and in the star I and mean, we're spending a little bit of time here just a little bit of time and in the star wars mythos this is the scene where everything changes this is the scene where everything changes anakin the main character the young looking man to the right over here he is the main character of the movie he is part of something that is called the jedi order his whole entire life His whole entire life, he was trained by the Jedi. His belief system is Jedi. He is everything Jedi. And everything up to this point in the movie, he is starting to have these visions and these dreams, unfortunately, of something really bad happening to his wife, his wife dying. And he has this internal struggle because he loves her so much, he's trying to figure out a way to stop that from happening. Now, the other guy in this pic, the really old wrinkly character to the left, that guy is named Palpatine. He is the villain of the movie, but up to this point, nobody knows that he is. Nobody knows. He's been hiding it. He's been keeping it a secret. But in this scene, but in this scene Palpatine senses the struggle that is going on inside of Anakin. And he uses this scene or this moment as an opportunity to manipulate him. And try to turn him over to the dark side. Try to turn him over to the evil side. So he introduces Anakin to a brand new way of thinking. A brand new philosophy, so to speak. 
And he does it by telling him a story. He tells him that long ago, there was a, a person. Now, I'm going to summarize the story because I don't want you Star Wars geeks to kill me for not mentioning the proper names. I know the names. I'm just, you know, making it really quick, right? He tells him a story of a guy long ago who was so powerful, who had so much knowledge of the universe that he was able to keep the ones he cared about from dying. When Anakin hears this, he becomes intrigued. His ears perk up. He's like, wait a minute. I'm struggling with not, having, not wanting to have my loved one die. Here's this guy telling me about this power that somebody has to keep somebody from dying. Tell me more. So they have a little bit of a back and forth. And at the very end of their conversation, Anakin asks Palpatine this question. He says, he asks him, is it possible to learn this power? And at that moment, Palpatine knows he has him. He knows he has him. He knows that all he needs is one more thing to break the back of Anakin, and he will have him. He knows, he sees the struggle. Anakin's body language is telling everything, his face, his emotions. He's pulling back and forth during their conversation. Palpatine knows what's happening. He sees all of it. And after Anakin asks him that question, is it possible to learn this power? Palpatine turns and looks at him and says, not from a Jedi. Meaning, you can learn it, but you have to abandon everything you know. You have to let go of everything that you grew up with. You have to learn of everything that you believe in, and you have to do that. Abandon it all, and you'll learn it. Unfortunately, Anakin does. He abandons everything. And he becomes one of the most iconic movie characters of all time, Darth Vader. Great entertainment for us. Horrible what he did. Now, this whole scene right here, I believe it speaks very loudly to us. I do. Because it shows us how a false philosophy, a false teaching, an intentional, misguided, manipulative message can throw us off. It does. This scene highlights the potential struggle that each and every single one of us can encounter in our everyday lives. And the reason why I say this is because the world right now is so full of them. It seems like every day, does it, doesn't it? It seems like every day a new teaching, a new way of thinking, a new philosophy pops up somewhere. I don't know about you, but a couple of weeks ago, I was going through my Facebook page. And I was just, you know, randomly scrolling through it. And I had these weird things that pop up, these, these brand new age ideas. And I'm like, what is this? You know, this, this healing website popped up and this astrology website popped up. And I'm looking at it like, I didn't subscribe to any of this. I don't, you know, how is this popping up on my page? It's telling me things like, you know, follow the stars, honor the moon. If the sun's out, don't bring an umbrella. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Don't bring an umbrella. Of course, why would I do that? So what I did is I just kept blocking it. I kept blocking it, but it keeps popping back up. And if it does that on Facebook, I'm not sure if you guys have seen anything like that, but if it does that on Facebook, I can only imagine all the other social media platforms, what they're being fed with or what they're trying to feed us with. We have to be very careful because we don't know that somebody could just be randomly talking about a cool experience or whatever, but really what we don't know is that underneath all that, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you something. And it's been happening all over the place, not just in social media, but now in our job environments, in our workplaces. There's new rules and regulations and parameters that are now being instilled that go against the very fabric of some of the things that we believe in. You notice it. You've seen it. You have. But it doesn't stop there. 
It's leaked into the schools now, not just here, but across the entire nation. There are new parameters, there are new rules, there are new regulations that are being put in place, and our children are growing up in that. They're being fed false philosophies and ideologies and things of that nature. Every day, every day carries with it the potential to be misled or misguided by some type of something. The latest and greatest new way, new age way of thinking. But can I be honest with you for a quick second? It's not new. It's not new. None of it is new. Every single little thing that's been introduced to us right now, it existed years ago. It existed years ago. Let me show you what I mean by that. I'm just going to touch on a couple of them, just so you know, there's a bunch of them, but I'm only going to touch on a couple of them. One of the things that I want to talk about really quick is nihilism. Nihilism, 1869. I'm going back a couple of decades right now, right? 1869. It dates further back than this, but it was popularized during this time. And this is what nihilism is. Maybe it might sound familiar. It's the philosophy that life has no inherent purpose. It has no inherent purpose, goal, or intrinsic value. Our lives are a random act of chance and nothing more. In 1869, it was called nihilism. You might know it by another name. Nihilism gave birth to atheism. Atheism. Next thing on the topic, existentialism. Existentialism, 1931. It also dates further back than this, but it became popular again around this time. It says this, existentialism is the philosophy that each person creates the essence of their life. Life is not determined by a supernatural God or earthly authority. It is determined by you and you alone. You are the master of your own domain. You speak everything and anything into existence. You keep whatever you want out of your life, out of your life. You know what this sounds like now when you hear it? It sounds a lot like this. Oh, I I don't receive that negative energy. Keep that negative energy away from me. Oh, oh, you have bad vibes? I'm not hanging out with that person. They have bad vibes. I'm not trying to invite bad vibes into my life. Last time I checked, anything negative that wants to happen in your life, problems don't have manners. Problems don't have manners. Problems are going to show up into your life. They're not going to knock on your door and be like, hey, can I be a problem for you today? No, they're not going to do that. Problems, they're going to show up whether you like it or not. You can't, it's, I'm not saying, <laughs> it's life. It happens. But this is a philosophy that came up around that time. It was, now we know it is something else. Next thing on the plate, Carl Sagan, 1980. He wasn't really a philosopher. He was more of a scientist type of guy. He was very popular in the 1980s with a video called Cosmos, the Cosmos. Now, he, because of this video, he popularized science on TV and he popularized it in school. I actually remember watching this video when I was in school. Now, the crazy thing about this video is that he has a really famous quote, a really famous line in this video. And this is the quote. It says this, we are all made of star stuff. That's what you're made of. You're all made of star stuff. Meaning, check this out. Meaning, if you accept that, you accept this. Meaning, God didn't create you. God didn't create you. 
If you believe that you're made of star stuff, then you're buying the underlying assumption of what it is that he's trying to sell you, which is God doesn't exist and God didn't create you. I don't know who created you. Something up there created you, but it wasn't God. It was something else. And this was very popular in the 1980s. Carl Sagan, they even had a movie that they made based off and dedicated to Carl Sagan called Contact. Last but not least, self-actualization, 1943. This was introduced by a philosopher by the name of Maslow. Now, this philosophy states that the highest level, the highest level of personal potential is fully realized after basic basic bodily and ego needs have been fulfilled. In a nutshell, what he's talking about is that if you want to reach the full potential of who you are, you have to give in to your own desires. Whatever your heart and your body desires, in order for you to reach the maximum of who you are, you have to give in to those needs, your ego, your whatever it is that you want to call it. The problem with that is, though, is that it brings with it this, this, this nuance of that you are your own moral compass, right? Whatever you need, whatever you feel is right, it's right because you are because your needs are your needs and they're good. So if you want to kill somebody, if you want to rob somebody, if you want to steal from somebody, if you want to hurt somebody, if you want to, you know, unfortunately, you just go the other route, you know, be a child molester, whatever the case is. If your body has the desire and the need to do that, it's okay, according to Maslow. Because that is your desire, that is your need. You are your own moral compass. You are your own moral standard. This sounds a lot like, I'm not sure if you heard this or not, uh, maybe today in this day and age, maybe you heard it. It sounds a lot like this. Hey, that's your truth, not my truth. That's your truth. That's what you believe in, but that's not my truth. You can do that all day. That works for you. That doesn't work for me. All of these things, nihilism, existentialism, Carl Sagan's cosmos, self-actualization, all of these things have existed for decades, centuries even. But the world, but what the world has done is that it has taken these concepts, it has taken these ideologies, excuse me, it has taken these ideologies, and what it's done is it's repackaged them, rebranded them, renamed them, and reintroduced them into society with a nice little red bow saying, hey, look, here's something new. Here is something new. Look at this new thing. And every single one of them has one goal. And it's a very dangerous goal. Every single one of them has one goal. It's to take your focus off of God, to take your focus off of his son, and to put it on you. To put it on you. It has that goal. Don't focus on God. Don't focus on his son. Everything is about you. It's never about him. It's about what you can do, what you can accomplish, how you can self-actualize. It's all about you. Do we see how dangerous that this could be? I have seen people fall for this. And their life, unfortunately, is marked by an endless search for meaning, truth, love, and purpose. They try one thing, nihilism. That doesn't work out. All right, fine. I'm going to try existentialism. If that doesn't work out, fine. They move it to the side. I'm going to try self-actualization. Oh, that doesn't work so well. I'm going to try something else. Tarot card reading. I'm going to try. And they keep going over and over and over into all these things. And it becomes this endless search of searching for something. But the one place they won't look is up to God. 
He is the only one that can answer any of those questions, but that's the one place they won't look because it's all about you. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to never look there. He wants us to look everywhere else, to be occupied with false truths, to be occupied with false love, to be occupied with false purpose, to be occupied with false meaning. Isn't that that otherworldly dangerous? But do you know what's more dangerous than all of those things that I just mentioned? What's more dangerous than that? To put our belief and our trust and our faith in something that looks and sounds Christian, but isn't. To put our faith in something that looks and sounds Christian, but isn't. That's even more dangerous because think about this for a second. In these other areas, you at least know you're not following God. But if you do something like that, you think you're following God only to find out later on that you're not. Why? Because it looks and it sounds Christian, but it really isn't. And this is exactly what was happening in the church of Galatia. This is what they were dealing with. They were dealing with what the church called, with what Paul calls a false gospel, a false gospel. At face value, at face value, it looked and sounded like the regular gospel, but Paul heard about what was happening. He heard about these teachings. He heard about what was going on, and he immediately sent a letter to the church that he held so close, so dear in his heart. And in this letter, he exposes the false teaching. And then he warns the people of the consequences of following it and what they should do to avoid it. And in the same way, I believe for us this morning, this is what Jesus wants us to know today. He wants us to know what are the consequences of following something like this, this type of teaching, what we can do to avoid it so that we are not following something false, but so that we are following the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's important. So Paul starts off like this in in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, Paul had no filter. I I want to just preface everything I'm about to say right now with that. Paul had no filter, all right? He spoke the truth when the truth needed to be spoken, and your feelings didn't matter uh, because the truth was more important than your feelings. And that's how Paul spoke. And uh, I wish a lot more of us would do the same. Not that I don't consider your feelings. Not that I don't consider your feelings. I'm just saying, you know, give me some mercy, Lord, please. <laughs> some mercy. Now, also, I just want to, these are Paul's words, not mine. All right, don't think I'm, you know, calling you names or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not doing that, all right? Okay, this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 6. He says this, I am astonished, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he, he quickly pivots, which is really no gospel at all. It's really, it's not a gospel. I love how Paul doesn't even sugarcoat it to the people. He's not saying, well, you know what? It might, it might not be the right type of, no, it's not the gospel, he says. It's not, that's not what it is. He tells them plainly, what you are learning, what you are hearing, what these teachers are teaching you right now, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what we taught you when we first met you, when this church was established. You're learning something else that's not that. And then he goes on to say, 
in verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He tells them very plainly, there's confusion here. That's not from God. If you're listening to something and it sounds confusing to you, it's probably you, you, need, you need to check it. You need to check, especially if it's about God. But check out, look, this is how serious Paul is about it. Look at what he says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Think about that. That's almost as if an angel came down right now in all of its glory, the white, the wings, the halo, everything, and started preaching to you guys another gospel. We would be impressed. Oh my God, there's an angel here. What is, what is the angel saying? It's, that's amazing. But we have to be careful because what does Paul say? If they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, let an angel be under a curse. Think about that. That's how serious he is about it. He's saying if me, if we, he says that, if we or an angel, meaning himself, all the apostles, anybody who preaches God's word, if he says anything, if, if anybody higher than that, like an angel, comes and tells you something else other than the gospel, let them be under God's curse, he says. He's so serious about it, he says it twice. Continuing on in verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody, now it's not just him or the apostles or an angel. Now he's including anybody. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. What is this false gospel that got Paul so passionately speaking to the people like this? These false teachers were telling the church in Galatia that in order for them to be saved, that in order for them to really be in right standing with God, in order to be in God's good graces, there were certain things that they had to do. There were certain rituals and ceremonious practices that they had to keep up with. If they kept up with all of them, they would be golden in the eyes of God. This is what they were teaching them. If you kept up with all these practices, if you kept up with all these things that you had to do, you would be golden in the eyes of God. That's what they were saying. But if they didn't keep up with it, but if they didn't keep up with all of these ceremonious practices and rituals and rules and regulations and the law and everything else, they would lose their favor with God. They would lose their favor with God and they would lose their salvation. In other words, check this out. You got to look at it real close. In other words, their entire faith, their entire relationship with God, their salvation was completely dependent on what they did, on what they did. But last time I checked, last time I checked, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the entire world, last time I checked when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the entire world, and the veil was torn, last time I checked when Jesus Christ died for your sins, for my sins, for the entire sins of the world, and the veil was torn, and he resurrected three days later, creating a path for you and for me to be in a relationship with him, Last time I checked, he didn't do that because of anything that I did. He didn't do that because of anything that you did. He did that out of the, he did that out of the love that he has for each and every single one of us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. But, but, all he, but he did that, all of that willingly 
willingly because he loves us that much with the hope that we would say yes to him and receive his free gift of salvation. That's called grace, and that's the gospel. That's the gospel. What they were hearing was not the gospel. What they were hearing was something that sounded like and looked like the gospel, but what it really was was this thing called legalism. Notice how all of them have an ism after it. Nihilism, existentialism, legalism. Legalism states this. Legalism states that salvation and God's favor can be gained by good works. It's completely dependent upon what you do, on what you do. But legalism is very dangerous because just like the other isms that we spoke about, nihilism, existentialism, it has one goal. It has one goal, to take your focus off of God, to take your focus off of Jesus, and to put it squarely on you, on you. Because everything, think about this, because everything, his favor, his gifts, his blessing, his salvation, is completely dependent upon what you do, on what you do. Another thing that legalism does is that legalism breeds the mentality of action over motive. Think about this for a second. It breeds the mentality of action over motive. It has people serving and doing good things for the kingdom of God, but their hearts are far from him. Their hearts are far from him. Did you know? Did you know that you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and it's still wrong in the eyes of God? Think about that. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and, that, and it's still wrong in the eyes of God. Why? Because God isn't looking at what you're doing. He's looking at the reason why you're doing it. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. Another thing that legalism does is that it makes us forget the work of the cross. It makes us forget the work of the cross. It leads us away from what Jesus has already done. It makes us forget about his grace, his mercy, and his love. It leads us away from the cross, not towards it, not towards him. Legalism is very dangerous And it's a trap that any one of us can fall into. I'm just being honest. I fell into it before, early on in my walk. No one is exempt from falling into this. Every one of us has the potential to fall into it. But look at what Paul says next. As Paul continues his epistle, he asks the people a question that I think is very relevant to each and every single one of us right now. It's a very relevant question. He asked this question in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This is what Paul writes. This is what Paul's asking. He asked the people, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? What Paul is really asking here and what, he is, and what he means by the law and what he means by this question is, is were you keeping up with the do's and don'ts so good? Were you doing all the ritual ceremonies? Were you keeping up with all of the practices? Were you following all the rules? Were you doing all of those things so great, so awesomely that God looked down from heaven 
saw how awesome you were, and said, hey, listen, because you're so good, here is my salvation. Don't worry about anybody else. This is just for you. Don't tell them how you got it. Is that how it happened? Is that how God did it? That's what Paul is asking here. You right there, you're doing such a great job because you're observing so many of my laws, so many of my rules, so many of my regulations. Before, you, before I even give you my Holy Spirit, here's my salvation. Or, or did you receive it by what you heard? Perhaps someone's testimony. Perhaps you sat down over a cup of coffee with somebody and had a conversation. And you asked them why their life has been so different. And they told you about this amazing person named Jesus. And in the midst of that conversation, their life changed. Your life changed. Because you heard something amazing. Or maybe you decided to wake up one day and walk into church. And you heard a message that was so impactful that it touched the very fabric of your soul. It touched the very fabric of your heart. And based off of what you heard, you decided to put your faith, your belief, and your trust in Jesus. How did it happen for you? How did it happen for you? Did it happen the other way? Or did it happen by what you heard? Paul continues on in Galatians 3, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? His words, not mine. Are you so foolish, he says, that after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So plain. Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And I love how Paul says that because, listen, Paul says, after beginning with the Spirit, what is he saying there? He's saying that they started off right. They started off right. They started with the Spirit. They started receiving God's gift and grace of salvation freely because of what they heard. They started with God's Spirit. They started the right way. But somewhere along the way, they fell into this way of thinking. Remember, what was relevant back then is still relevant now. Just because we start off the right way doesn't mean that we cannot fall into this. Doesn't mean that we cannot fall into this. Every day, every day carries with it the potential to be misled or misguided or manipulated by some type of something. And every day, legalism, human effort, pride, it has the potential every day to enter into our walk with God and disrupt it. If we are not careful, if we are unable to recognize it for what it really is, we can fall to it. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we avoid this mindset? How can we avoid this happening to us? How can we avoid the misstep of following something that looks and sounds Christian but isn't? Paul, I love him for this. Paul, towards the end of his letter, after pleading his case to the whole entire church, to the people of Galatia, he leaves them with this, and I believe that this is very, very important. I don't want us to miss this. If you take anything from the message today, take this. Please take this. If we do this, if we do what Paul is about to share with us, if we apply it to our lives, I guarantee you it will make all the difference in your walk with God. He says this, 
in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, really quick, I don't want us to forget. Remember what Paul said earlier after beginning with the Spirit, meaning we can start there. We all start, every single one of us, our walk with God starts with the Spirit. After we receive his gift of grace and salvation freely, after we believe in him and put our trust in him and say, Lord, I want Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be over everything. Right then and there, you receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And from that point forward, your life and the Holy Spirit are together. You are living with God's Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. Look at what Paul says very clearly. He says it shouldn't stop there. There is something more that has to be done. Just like there is something more right after that comma. He says, if we live by the Spirit, comma, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now that word walk, I looked it up because I'm a nerd. That's what I do. That word walk is the Greek, I don't, I don't even want to mess it up, is <laughs> the Greek word stoicheo, and it means this. It means to march in rank, to keep in step with one another in submission of heart to the Holy Spirit. When God says, let us also walk in the Spirit, he's not talking about how you walk down the block with your boy. You guys are just chilling and, you know, walking around, talking with somebody, or how you walk down the aisle with your wife or whatever. He's not, that's, it's not that type of walking. That's not what he means by that. You want to know what this type of walking looks like? Um, I, watch this video really fast. This is what walk means in this verse. Take a look. My Lord, my Lord, as you can see, they're all keeping in step with one another. But more so than one another, they are keeping in step with the rhythm, the cadence of the drill instructor. Notice how the only person calling out the cadence is the drill instructor. No one else is talking. The cadets are listening intently to the sound of one person. And as they are listening to his voice, they are marching as one. Any command the drill instructor gives, the cadets respond without question. If he gives the command, column left, march, they turn left and they march. If he gives the command, call them right, march, they turn right, and they march. If he says, company, halt, they stop in unison at the same time at attention and wait for the next command. 
They respond to the one voice. They move to the rhythm of one voice. Here's a question, though, that I have for you. Do you think they started off marching like that? Do you think they started doing that right off the bat? Do you think they were that good? Not at all. I experienced this personally. For those who know, I was, I was a Marine. When I went to boot camp the first day that I was there, I was on a bus. And I was on a bus with like 88 other people. And from the moment we got off that bus, they put us in columns, 20 each, two, four, six, eight, all the way straight back. And we're sitting there. I was terrified because, you know, you have people screaming at you. It's crazy stuff, right? And the first week of boot camp is probably the toughest week because that's the week that the drill instructors are tasked with breaking you. Breaking you mentally, breaking you emotionally, breaking you physically. They try that. They break you down to build you up. They break you down to build you up. And here's the thing about it. The 88 other guys that I was with, I had no idea who they were. They weren't all from Elizabeth. Actually, none of them were from, were, were from Elizabeth. You had guys from different parts of Jersey, guys from different parts of Kentucky, all over the United States. I was with people that I've never even met before in my entire life. And that first day, they put us in those columns. And I kid you not, they say, at my command, when I say march, you guys are going to march. And we're like, yes, sir, you're an instructor, sir. And he's like, when I say march, look, you're going to start with your left foot, and you're going to march that way. And we're like, yes, sir, you're an instructor, sir. He's like, march. We had no idea what we were doing. People, and listen, <laughs> people don't know they're left from the right when they're under pressure. Let me tell you. He was like, he said left. I listened, he said left. I'm like, oh, left. You had some guy who was like, oh, what are we doing? How's it going? It was crazy. It was crazy. We didn't know what we were doing. But every single day, without fail, I kid you not, every single day while we were there, the drill instructor told us, following the line. When I say march, you march. You step off with your left foot. And we learned little by little over the course of three months, every day without fail, hours on the end, how to march in unison, how to listen to the cadence of the drill instructor, to the rhythm of his voice. And every single person there learned how to march. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. It takes time. It takes time to walk in the Spirit. It does. No one gets it right away. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to put pressure. There's no pressure here. There's no pressure for you to get it right away. That's not God. There's no pressure for you to get it right away. But there is only one way to get there. There's only one way to get there, to learn. If you want to learn how to walk in the Spirit of God, there's only one way to get there. You have to learn the cadence, the rhythm, the voice of the person that is calling out. And for us, we have Jesus' cadence. We have the rhythm of his heart. We have his voice. We have it right here. We have it right here. In order for us to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, we have to know this. There's no other way around it. There's no shortcut. There's no cliff notes. It's this. 
It took three months straight, hours upon hours of training every day, every single day, including Sundays, for us to learn to march to the rhythm of the drill instructor. Learning to walk in his spirit, to keep in step with his spirit, requires from us more than just Sunday. More than just Sunday. For each and every single one of us, the commitment level might look a little different. For some of us, maybe it's three minutes a day. For others, maybe it's a little bit more time. But the truth of the matter is this, and I cannot stress this enough. The truth of the matter is this. If you don't start, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. If you don't start, you won't know the rhythm of God's heart. You won't know it. You won't know how to march, how to keep in step with him if you don't know this. It's this type of walking that Paul talks about that is able to keep you from falling into false teachings. It's this type of walking that Paul talks about that keeps you from false ideologies, that keeps you from legalisms and all the other isms that the world will throw your way. Because if you know this, you can recognize that. If you know this, you know what to stay away from. If you know this, you know which direction to turn into when you need to turn into it. It's more than just Sunday. If you want to... I'm not trying to knock you down. I'm not saying that you guys aren't doing it. But what I'm saying is that if you just come here on Sunday, listen to the word, we can preach till we're blue in the face. Every pastor up here can preach till they're blue in the face. But if the only time you know his word or hear his word is from one of us here on Sunday morning, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Thank you, brother. It's this type of walking that would stop you from trying to do it on human effort. It's this type of walking that would help you to remember the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, the true gospel, his grace. It's this type of walking that would keep you wandering far away and keep you close to him. It's this type of walking that would show you true purpose, that would show you truth, agape love, in such a way that you have never experienced. It's this type of walking that puts motive above action, and your heart is marching to the rhythm of God's heart, and he is pleased with you. It's this type of walking that reminds you that you don't have to do Because Jesus has already done. But only if you are walking in his spirit. Will you take on this challenge? Will you take on this challenge to hear his voice? To learn his cadence and to march to the rhythm of his heart, his word? Because you have to remember, every day carries with it the potential to be misled, misguided, or manipulated by some type of something. And when that happens, the hope would be, the hope would be that God were there to speak, 
that God would be there to steer you away from that direction. Let's just say it's over there to the left. That God would say, call him right. You would hear it and you would march to the right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, my God. We thank you so much for what you have shown us, my Lord. We thank you so much for your heart, my God. We thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, my Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross, my God. We thank you so much for the true gospel of what you have imparted into our hearts right now, Lord. And I pray, Lord, over each and every single one of us here, my God, who has your spirit, my God, who believes in you, my Lord, who trusts in you, my God, who has the desire to follow you, my God. I pray, Lord, that it would not stop there, Lord. I pray that they would walk in your spirit, my God. I pray, Lord, that they would be in your word, my God, that they would learn the cadence, the rhythm of your heart, my God, that they would follow it, that they would listen to it, excuse me, that they would recognize it, my Lord. I pray that they do not misstep, my God. I pray that they they do not put pressure on themselves, my Lord, but that they realize that it's a process, that it happens over time, my God, but that time has to start, Lord. So I pray over each one of them, Lord, that you would give them that passion, that desire, my God, that longing, my Lord, to take that first step in your direction, Lord, that they would go into your word, that they would see who you are, my Lord, that they would recognize who you are, what you've done for them, my God, what you want to do with them, my Lord, that you would transform them, change them from the inside out, my Lord, as they walk, keep in step with you, my Lord. I pray for bravery. I pray for courage. I pray, Lord, that they would not hold back and that they would go full tilt, bozo crazy for you, my God, because you are worth it, my Lord. You are worth it, my God. And for those who are teetering on whether or not they believe in you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would touch their lives in an amazing, awesome way, God, that they would make that decision to come to you, Lord, to follow you, to march to the rhythm of your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Call him right. Enjoy your week. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.